Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So we'll, as I said, uh, have uh, mostly just a, a dialogue and uh, see what's up and um, um, conversations on Dharma practice. But I, I wanted to share with you before we, uh, we get into, um, into that mm. two, um, two vignettes or two uh, stories that um, I uh, heard in the last couple of days that are a theme going through my mind. One, I, one was a friend I spoke to uh, today um, who... I've known for a number of years, um, and uh, when when I saw her, uh, she was. I said, "How are you doing?" She said, "I'm doing really good." I said, "Oh yeah, what's going on?" And she said that she was uh, at the uh, graduation of her granddaughter uh, just this this past weekend, which is always, you know, a very celebratory, uh, wonderful, fun thing to do, no matter who your grandchild is. But we both reflected, she said, 10 years ago, just around now. And I remember very well because I was going through this with her. Her granddaughter, uh, had been found unconscious for three days, uh, had been unconscious and alone for three days, um, having um, bouts with uh, depression and, uh, and substance abuse and uh, really self-destructive, um, angry when she wasn't uh, depressed, and uh, my friend was really so scared for her for her life and when they found her actually um, she she was closer to the other side than to this side and uh, miraculously, after months of um, medical assistance and recovery, she slowly came back, came back, came back. And um, it took her a, a, a few years of kind of turning her life in the right direction. But there she was. Um, and uh, my friend showed me two pictures. I said, oh, let me see. Uh, got any pictures? Two pictures of this radiant woman, now 31, uh, about to be 32, one was her um, wedding earlier uh, uh, this year, or the end of last year, uh, in uh, Bora Bora with her hunk of a husband. Um, and the other was the graduation where she was, uh, she had just gotten her degree, uh, graduate degree with the, uh, an MF, MFT certification. Um, 
And we both looked at each other and my friend said, can you believe it? And there was just this moment where we took in the mystery of life and there she is going to be a support for others going through their hard times. And it reminded me of um, uh, a book by uh, R.D. Lang called The Politics of Experience. Anybody ever read The Politics of Experience? Great book, thin little book. Every sentence mattered. And uh, he was a brilliant guy who had been in and out of um, um, mental uh, institutions uh, himself. And he, uh, he wrote, he said, the book was basically about ha- making the journey to the deepest, to the, to the depths, to the, the hell realms. Um, and he said that those who have made that journey and come back are... Um, have something very special and precious to share. Uh, They can be with others in a way that few can. Uh, And there was my friend's grandchild with this bright face having turned her life around. And the other one was uh, I, I spoke to a dear friend that I've I've known for oh uh, at least 25 years um I hadn't spoken to her in in a while um and she would call me oh maybe once a year or once every uh year and a half just to say hi and and check in uh in these last few years but I knew her um and was with her quite a lot um about 25 years ago when she came uh, first to retreats and it was, wasn't clear whether, whether the retreats were the best situation for her because she was so wounded and, and traumatized. Um, and, but there was something in her that, I, uh, that really touched me and um, I, the only thing I could offer her was was really love and and presence um but she kept coming back and she had she was a a single mother of seven and um just really barely keeping it together uh with her traumas as well and she from the very beginning, the one thing that uh, was clear was her uncompromising commitment to the Dharma and to the truth. And over these years has taken every healing modality one could imagine. She's a, a physician. She was a physician then as well. And uh, when I spoke with her, this is a couple of weeks ago, so how's it going? Her seven children, one is a doctor, two are in in medical school, all on on scholarship. One is a teacher, one's a social worker. Two others, I forget what their 
what they're doing, but they're also successful. All seven children doing great. She uh, was um, Doctor of the Year in the Bay Guardian a couple of years ago. I had no idea. I said, you're really? She said, yeah. And then I looked it up, and there it was. You know, And has um, 17 uh, cl- uh, offices and clinics that she she runs um, uh, and uh, in a very dharmic way. And there it was, once again, just like both of those stories. You just never know. You never know, uh, it, no matter how far down you might go or you might be or think, oh, there's no hope. Uh, don't try to go for Doctor of the Year in the Bay Guardian, or um, you know, ha- or think that now the, the the bar is so high that you've got to be doing something brilliant. Um, but to to just know that wherever you are now, particularly if you have a commitment to face in the right direction and have good support. You never know. Uh, I'll, I'll share a, uh, an a, um, an anecdote. I haven't shared it here in a number of years, in quite a while. We used to share it uh, on retreats. This uh, about this guy who is uh, this is in in Cossack, uh uh, Russia, or Tsarist Russia, and this guy, this rabbi, would go every morning to the to pray at the temple, and he'd go across the town square, and the Cossack pol- uh, policeman who knew the rabbi very well saw him every single morning, the same, the same time, going across to the temple to pray, and. Um, the rabbi is going across one morning, and this morning the, the, the policeman was in a not a very good mood. And he says, kind of sarcastically, so where are you going, rabbi? And the rabbi says, I don't know. And the policeman is completely incensed. You don't know? Every single morning for the last 20 years, you've been going across the temple to pray, right? Right now. You're telling me you don't know? What are you, trying to make a fool out of me? And he takes him by the scruff of the neck and he goes across the other side of the square to the town jail and opens up the door, uh, the, the, uh, the, the gate to the, to the jail, and just as he's throwing him in the jail, he says, I'll show you, you make a fool out of me. And he, as he's throwing him in, the rabbi turns and says, see, you don't know. <laughs> so it works both ways. But if you're going through a hard time or you're wondering if there's a light at the end of the tunnel, you know, that's one of the the real blessings of the truth of impermanence of Anicca, that things change 
particularly if you're not perpetuating negative thoughts that say, oh, I know where this is heading. That's one of the surest ways to keep facing in that direction. But if you let go of knowing, don't know. It's a, a wonderful Zen master, Sun, Sun Sang. He was a monk, Sun Sanim. And he would, his main teaching was just keep don't know mind. Where did you come from? Don't know, he'd say in this his, uh, heavy Korean accent. You know, What's the meaning of life? Don't know. And he'd say, just, just keep don't know. That was, his, that was his teaching. Only keep don't know mind and uh, see what life has in store for you. But be open to possibilities. So with that in mind, uh, let's just uh, see what's what's up for people. Any kind of practice questions, uh, either about formal meditation practice or uh, life practice. And say your name uh, as you start. Uh, my name is Jamil. Um, Hi, Jamil. Good. Something I've been noticing um, is uh, my mind is is always sort of like on and thinking and reflect and reflecting sorry um my mind is sort of always on and um i've been trying to practice sort of mindfulness at work um since i'm there for like 8 hours a day so uh, i figure it's a good place to practice what was that last part i i said it's i figure it's a good place to practice mm-hmm. work very good place um, to practice yeah but one of the things i've been noticing that's been coming up at work is that i as i'm facilitating mindfulness and such, um, I experience a lot of pain, a lot of physical pain, a lot of sort of just exhaustion from being in the process of being mindful. And um, uh, it's, and then also I think sort of like mindfulness fatigue. Like I just like, I get to a point where I'm like, I I need to stop being mindful. I need to just like watch TV and space out for a while because it's, it's exhausting me. And, I guess I was just curious what your thoughts were around that. Mm, mm-hmm. Mindfulness fatigue. <laughs> That's a new syndrome. Okay, wait. If I if I understand you, uh, you're are you saying that you're making the effort to pay attention and it can get exhausting after a while? Is that it? Yeah, it can get exhausting after a while putting in the energy of being mindful, but, but also sort of the, the hardships that I become aware of just mm. like physically or emotionally that come up, it can be kind of exhausting to be facing those all the time instead of, you know, what I do normally, which is sort of find ways to numb out throughout the day. So I don't have to face that in its full bore throughout the day. And sometimes it's like hard to focus on work because I'm sort of like, wow, I have all these feelings and they're, painful and hard and I won't need to focus on work. Okay, okay. So when you're what you're being mindful of often are painful feelings, emotions uh, physically as well or mostly physical and and emotional. So um and that can get really exhausting. Uh, that makes that makes sense if you're just focusing on unpleasant feelings. That is exhausting. So um, maybe a, f- a, a couple of things to um, 
to broaden your perspective of what it means to be mindful. If you are exhausted by mindfulness, there's there's something there's something a little bit um, off because uh, mindfulness is is actually um, both a, usually can be not always but can be a very a, a restful kind of connection and um, where you're uh, you're bringing the wisdom of not grasping at the pleasant, not pushing away the unpleasant, and not taking ownership of your experience. So a couple of things that come to my mind. Uh, One, it can be exhausting if you're just focusing on the unpleasant. And in fact, in one discourse, uh, the Buddha suggests uh, i i've actually i've given a talk on it here uh, in this one discourse he has five different strategies for working with difficulties and one of those strategies um, is what is known as forgetfulness and inattention meaning you don't have to stay with unpleasant emotions or sensations simply because they're there. Because if you stay with it for too long a time, the mind becomes fatigued. Withered is, uh, is, is one word that's used in, in the teachings. That You just get too exhausted, as you're saying. So rather, and, and particularly if you're just focusing on, yeah, I'm really hurting here. This is really, yes, I'm, I'm pain, pain. Yeah, if you're old enough, I remember the old, uh, it used to be an old Anison commercial. <laughs> pain, pain, pain. There was a hammer going down and there was a bolt of electricity. Pain, pain. If you keep on saying, Pain, pain, pain. You're going to get exhausted and you're going to get really uh, tight. And so you might just, if you want to um, practice mindfulness, one way is to notice where there's not pain or to turn to a completely uh, spacious object like for just uh, a little while, uh, tune into the sounds around you. Just listen to the, the sounds in the office or to the birds outside or to um, uh, just knowing that your body is sitting here and very grounded but not focusing too hard because if you're getting exhausted, the mind is tight and it's it's contracted, and you want to broaden the field. And so to, to make it a very spacious kind of a, um, a focus uh, and sounds is, uh, is a very good one for that as well. Um, and then if you are going through a hard time, besides the mindfulness, uh, you might also 
shift to a more heart practice like self-compassion or uh, loving kindness towards yourself, towards others. It's not that you've got to stay with mindfulness, um, but just for a few moments of being kind to yourself. Have you, have we, you done that, uh, that self-compassion practice? You know, just if you, we can just do it for a moment, putting your hand on your heart. Say you're going through a really hard time and just soothing yourself for a moment and maybe saying, wow, this is really hard right now. Or this is suffering. Mm. This is part of life. And may I hold it with real kindness. So you want to bring a, a tenderness to that contraction of mind and heart. Um, and having done that, or open to another spacious object, then you might just stop trying so hard to be a good meditator and just relax. Because it's more important to have a foundation of ease and relaxation so that you can meet the moment with some, some spaciousness than to bore in there and, and try... Whoops, and try to uh, and try to be mindful, uh, and and it being an effort, so much more helpful to just relax, and uh, you might. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I don't know what's going on here. I'll try it one more time, and then we'll. Um, to just uh, relax and not try so hard. Um, hmm. A lot of times, if you relax, you might find that you are uh, you're more present than you realize. Uh, I, I remember on one retreat, I I was doing um, I was really trying to be mindful in every moment, and for a while, it was just ve- this is on a longer retreat, and it was very I was very um, uh, inspired and into the practice and it was it was really flowing for some time but at one point I got really tight around my practice so tight and I realized I'd been that way for days just trying to pounce on every moment and then I decided this is crazy I'm just going to play hooky for a little while and I'm going to go, I was going so slowly, I, I hadn't been outside for, for, for weeks. This is in Massachusetts. And I just decided, okay, I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to, it was, I hadn't been outside since the snow fell. And I'm going to take an unmindful walk. That was my assignment to myself. Put on my boots and my parka and all, and I was going to take that unmindful walk. And there I was, left, right, left, right, sniffling, hearing, left, right, left. I was so mindful. I couldn't not be mindful by that point. But I had been trying so hard to be mindful that I was winding myself up in knots. It was a very, uh, very useful uh, exercise. Sometimes 
just relaxing is gives you the space to feel a bit more connected in an easy way. So you might just uh, give yourself a break too. I have um, a very, I have a very similar question, I guess, but kind of coming at it from a different direction. That um, I'm interested. Um, I mean, sort of the conceptual part of it is the the relationship between mindfulness of being aware of whatever comes into awareness, and of um, you know, you're well known for teaching mindfulness as well as well known for teaching happiness. Well known for teaching mindfulness and teaching happiness. Happiness where. It's not just taking whatever happens, but kind of doing a little bit of directing and encouraging of happiness. And, um, you know, it seems like there is value in nurturing and, and directing and um, building the happiness and the strength for, for multiple reasons, you know, in the suttas and modern psychology and all kinds of places. And there's value in letting go of that sometimes and just being with, you know, the negative stuff that's coming up. Um, and, you know, I find myself sometimes going, oh, this is kind of dukkha-esque, you know. This is, quite, you know, this is not very fun. Maybe I'll just take a few deep breaths and pull in some of the more pleasantness and relax. Then I think, well, you know what? It actually feels like I really want to be here. It's really something healthy to just be with, you know, what is going on here. Maybe there's you know, dukkha, and I mean, right now there's dukkha at work. We laid off some people that we, you know, kind of, any, long story, but, um, and, and maybe it's worth just sort of being with some of that now. Um, you know, I could just snap out of it and just take a few deep breaths and, and be pleasant again, and, and, and but it'd be maybe in some ways out of touch. It's kind of that balance of back and forth, and just curious about your thoughts about that. I also have a second thought. I'll just throw it out. Second question. I'll throw it out. You can come back to it later or skip it if you want. Mindfulness thoughts about caffeine, tea, coffee. Uh, let's throw in, you know, marijuana, psilocybin, mescaline. Okay, that's that's question two that you can le- take or leave. But but. <laughs> A brief fugue out of uh, the oh, behind the Is altar. This on? Oh, uh, yeah, it, it's on. Actually, the serious question really is uh, tea and coffee, and and the rest of it is kind of of interest also. But <laughs> oh, okay. Well, first, uh, as far as staying with something, staying with uh, the the difficult, or m- moving to the um, uh, to to the more wholesome state, the, the, your your practice is. Um, I would I would hope that you get a sense that practice can be very intuitive, and to to really trust. Trust yourself as far as um, what you can be with in a balanced way where there is not a struggle. It can be as, um, as valuable. Sometimes the most valuable is to be with the hard stuff and see, yes, there is a space of awareness that can hold this too with kindness. Sometimes it becomes a struggle 
like we were just saying, when it becomes a struggle and you're out of balance and you're getting confused or the mind is getting fatigued, that's a time to just um, reboot the system or to see, wait, there might be a, a better a better way to meet the moment or open up to the moment. Um, if it's... Uh, if it's going, if you find yourself in a rut of moving towards the negative, you know, if not just because for good reason there's, say, a loss or there's, there's something that's come up in your life that really needs attention. Um, and when that happens, it's important to open to it. And you've heard me say this, uh, I like the phrase titrating your dukkha. You know, just you open to it a little at a time so that you see you have the resources to um, to be with it. When it gets overwhelming, then you, as I said, move off. Um, but if you find yourself just in a negative rut for the last five years, you know, then it might be time to shift the focus uh, and uh, last five years or last two weeks or last, you know, three days when the mind is just going, yeah, well, yeah, life is a drag and oh, woe is me and stuff like that. And it's just that's where your, your mind is naturally going. As uh, you've heard me share many times, the Buddha said to notice the wholesome, to notice what's good, as well, to have a, a, a open to a sense of contentment and gratitude for the moment, or to let your heart be touched by whatever is around you. And gratitude is a really good access to uh, to an open heart. Don't miss those moments of well-being. Not in denial of the other but to get enough space and refresh yourself so that you do have the energy to open to the hard stuff um, that, that's needing attention. Um, but the, the main idea is that there's no one right way, oh, this is how I'm supposed to do it now. It's really listening inside. And my guideline is what will support me meeting this moment with as much wisdom and kindness as I can. And that might mean, okay, let's enter into this moment, even if it's hard, or it might mean I need to change the channel, or it might mean, oh, I need to have a cup of tea or coffee, um, or it, it might mean uh, I need to, um, you know, go for a walk or go for a or watch a movie or watch a comedy or something like that just to bring some balance because the whole thing is about balance, having enough balance. So I hope that addresses a bit the first part. Um, the second part as far as tea and coffee and caffeine, uh, yeah, I'm sure everybody here is, is familiar at least uh, a bit with the Japanese tea ceremony, which is done as a meditation. And my understanding is um, that was, became a, a, a ceremony 
because the monks w- were drinking uh, caffeinated tea and they made a whole ritual out of it. Oh, we can make a whole meditation because it would help them stay up for their meditation. Um, the tea ceremony? Oh, uh, the samurai. Same with the samurai? Mm-hmm. Great. So, um, you know, the the precept around substances is um, avoiding substances that make the mind unclear uh, because when the mind is wobbly, then the other precepts tend to be wobbly as well. So if you're taking coffee, you know, five cups a day might be a little bit too much, but uh, you've got to see for yourself. But one cup of coffee a day, I've been, actually, I haven't drunk coffee for many years, but in, but in recent times, my, my wife who, who drinks her cup of coffee every morning, showed me some research saying that one cup of coffee is actually good for you. Yeah. So in the last, oh, six months, I've joined her in one cup of coffee in, in the morning. Um, and, uh, you know, the precepts are, are not commandments. Uh, see for yourself, is it making you more clear or is it, is it making you less clear? And certainly tea and coffee um, are, uh, are not going to be too harmful, if, especially if they support your, uh, your alertness. Just how much are you attached to it? You know, that, that's, that's where practice comes in. So enjoy your shot of double espresso. <laughs> This isn't really a question. A little closer. Yeah. Is, is this um, in regards to the two guys who asked about? Put it close to your mouth, Paul. Yeah. When the uh, in regards to the two guys who have trouble with when you're mindful of pain or something difficult, I have that myself. And what I do sometimes I do a compassion practice and just think, may I be happy? Uh, and I really focus on that until the mind lightens. And the other thing that I don't know if it's part of this tradition is I think of devotion to my teachers. And I have some pictures of teachers who've been really kind to me. And I focus on their pictures and the feeling of how kind they've been to me. And I do that for a a while. Like if I practice every morning for half an hour, I might take 10 minutes of that. And it really lightens it up. I mean, it can get quite blissful. Uh... And that really counteracts that down feeling. That's my experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. That, um, you know, the heart practices sometimes are, uh, uh, don't get as much airplay. Um, but one of the, in that, that same discourse where the Buddha had uh, those, those different techniques, one of them is to replace an unwholesome thought with a wholesome thought. And particularly, for instance, if you're having doubt or if there's the, the, the mind is getting lost and confused, 
to reflect on something that brings about faith brightens the mind and brightens the heart. And uh, along those lines, your benefactors or people who've inspired you, people who believe in you, just to reflect on them exactly as you're saying. Um, and um, to tune into how amazing it is to be alive even. You know, that's, that's where the gratitude practice is just a, a moment away. Uh, and along with receiving what you've received from benefactors, uh, a practice that I, I've mentioned here from time to time, which I, I'll mention it again, uh, I've found very, very helpful for me in the last few years um, that I first uh, was was inspired by um, John McCransky's book, Awakening Through Love. It's a beautiful book, and he uh, talks about uh, some Tibetan practices. And one is to see everyone as your benefactor. And one way to do that, that I have liked doing that, is any time there is some goodwill coming towards you, any time somebody smiles at you or says, hi, how are you, or opens a door for you, or is friendly and you feel their goodwill, don't miss it. Feel that connection and not only feel connected with them, but to see them as an agent of life letting you know that you are loved. It's just life in that form saying, hi, how are you? I care about you, for, at least for this moment. Taking it in, and once you start tuning in to all the goodwill coming your way, there's so much, you'll start to see it everywhere. It takes, though, having your radar out for it instead of, oh, this is going wrong and that's going wrong and woe is me. There's no room for you to take that in. But once you start seeing and even maybe feeling a bit worthy of that, um, then it fills you. And there's so much coming your way, you can't even hold it all. The only thing you can do is just extend it out. And so you become what, what I've referred to as a, a meta-recycling machine. You know? You're just kind of taking it in and sending it out. You're taking it in and sending it out. And the amazing thing is, when you're tuned into that frequency you attract that energy. Not only do you attract it, but you start to notice it around you because that's, that's where your confirmation bias in your brain will go. You will notice what you look for. You'll find what you look for. And if you're looking for how everybody is going to disappoint you and be a drag, you'll find ample evidence to confirm that 
but you and your brain will be noticing that you don't we have this this interesting mechanism we we have a confirmation bias in our brain where we pick up the things that we're tuning into and if you look for the good around you that will be your confirmation bias it takes some practice because we're more used to looking for the for the bad uh, that's how we're wired up with uh, our brains. We scan the horizon for what can go wrong. So it takes practice to look for what is good. But once you start getting into the habit, your brain will start to notice and pick it up. And you will bring it out of others as well. So um, everybody wins with that. And devotion and opening your heart to, to life is uh, is is a, a tremendous vehicle for open to that. Hi. What's your name? Uh, I'm Carrie. We actually oh, right. met Hi, earlier this week. Uh, when, when at, at we... my at the farmhouse. Oh yeah. 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 Oh <laughs> you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you took me around. Hello. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So my question is, um, I made a commitment to myself to start a mindfulness practice this year. And Mm -hmm. I've had other practices in my life that I still do, but um, mindfulness feels very important to me now. Oh, here we go. Uh, Mindfulness is something I really want to incorporate into my life. And um, I did a retreat at Mount Madonna earlier this year, and that really, like, jump-started me. And um, I came home, and I'm a teacher, and after school I would come home, and I would sit for, like, 15 minutes, and I would stretch, and I was, like, on this rhythm, and then it started to fade, and then it started to become, like, this, like, harsh routine, and then I would come home, and I'd be like, girl, you're gonna sit now, and, like, it was just so awful, (laughs) and, um, kind of like what these guys were talking about, of just, like, it suddenly not becoming this refuge, but this, like, chore, and my life is so, um, I have so many people all the time in my life, and to just have, time on my own is actually very rare. Um, and I don't always want to just sit when I have time on my own. Sometimes I want to just literally veg out and like, um, so I've, (laughs) I know the feeling. (laughs) So I went through this period recently where I, um, just stopped meditating for a while. And then I, um, I told you, actually, I had a near-death experience, which was really intense. And then you showed up at my house the next day. And <laughs> I was like, I think Say, I Say, are to- you meditating? Yeah, literally. He showed up at my bedroom door. And <laughs> I was like, I need to get back to meditating. Um, so I'm at this place right now where um, I'm really wanting to enter back into it. And the key word for me is in a balanced way. And I I find that I often get overwhelmed with kind of where to begin because there's like mindfulness. And then like you were saying, sometimes it doesn't feel right to just sit with my mind. Like my heart is needing attention. And then sometimes it's, it feels more like a maybe yogic practice. And I, um, 
I kind of struggle like being a very new beginner with very little instruction under my belt, like how to kind of hold this and because rhythm creates strength, you know, like on an everyday basis, but also have flexibility and not get dogmatic and rigid in my thinking. Uh, really uh, important, important point, an important question, uh, because besides what happens within the meditation, uh, one of the most important aspects of practice is your relationship to meditation. And if you have this relationship that it's a chore, one more thing that you've got to do, that you're either you know, a good boy or a good girl or a bad boy, a bad girl, it's, you'll have lost the thing that nourished you in the first place. I, I, I forget if I mentioned it here, this line. Uh, maybe I did uh, recently. I love by uh, uh, Trungpa Rinpoche who says, uh, if, th if, there's, uh, if there's a conflict between you and the Dharma, chances are the problem doesn't lie with the Dharma. You know? But we can have this relationship to our, and he also said, uh, meditation practice is like having a love-hate relationship with your Zafu. Um, because at times you'll say, you know, oh, I'm supposed to be sitting and I'm not, and then you feel guilty. And do it in a way that you're giving it to yourself, not because you're supposed to do it. For me, I, I, I forget if I mentioned this the other day when I was with you, my agreement to myself that is that I'll just at least get into the posture every day. Not necessarily 45 minutes or an hour or whatever. It might be five minutes just to honor my connection with that because that works for me because there's something about just my body remembering oh this is a good thing to give myself but if you it sounded like it was healthy and 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 valuable to just take a break for a while because it was getting to be so much of a, of an onerous assignment that you were giving to yourself and so there was a part of you that said, this is not what I want. I really need to come back fresh to it. And then, you know, I was at your door and said, hello, and uh, are you meditating? Uh, we'd never met <laughs> before, but I, she opened the door to this house that I was, I was, uh, I was visiting. And, um, and life hopefully will remind you, oh, this is a good thing, but do it as a support for yourself, not as something that uh, you should be doing. And that also goes for what kind of practice you do. Uh, at the beginning, it's a little bit tricky because it, it's good to have enough um, uh, familiarity and establishment in practice so that it's it's home and it's yours. So 
if you're trying to sort out between three or four or five different practices and but you're not really clear on how to use them uh, then it can be helpful to um, to do it in a way that um, that establishes practice but between stretching your body doing some yoga or doing some heart practices or doing some mindfulness practice you can't go wrong with those and so rather than define practices yes i'm doing mindfulness practice cuz that's what's going to get me to enlightenment or or that'll make me a good spiritual person forget about that and just think of them all as practices to support your well-being and you might do um a little bit of heart practice and then uh, and then do a little bit of mindfulness practice or one, whatever combination. Play around with it for a while. And I do use the word play around. Uh, make it, make it a, a kind of um, uh, you're exploring in a, just a curious way what will support. And forget about the report card. That's the most important thing. No report card. Just do it because it's nourishing for you. And when you do it, if you found, oh, that was good. That f- it felt like a good thing to give myself. Don't miss that part at the end where you said, you know, this, that felt good. If you're spinning your wheels and saying, oh, I, I hate this, then that's not so helpful. But to really take in the nourishment of the practice, um, then you're drawn to do it more. And for quite a while, I've been doing this for a long time, and it's I can't remember uh, the last time when I meditated and afterwards said, oh, I shouldn't have done that. but you can if you're kind of giving yourself a report card and saying, oh, this isn't working. Do it out of a gift that you're giving yourself. And do it with friends, too. And I know you're in a house where there are some other people. When you do it with a friend, with like-minded friends, it makes a big difference. So let that be a support for you, too. Okay, thank you. Also for myself, also for myself, I found that um, when I get out of work, I'm really wired because I'm a nurse, and so I meditate in the morning. You know, I mean, this Thursday is the only day that I meditate regularly early in the afternoon, but I meditate first thing in the morning. So I get up early enough that I have time to do that first, because I'm just too wired after work usually to calm down and be in a space get my mind to stop racing. So for me, that makes a big difference. I also have that problem uh, and would like to work on that more in to get your mind to stop racing sometimes. If you're, you know, if your work is something that's really uh, busy, absorbing, wiring, sucking energy from you to get in that kind of alpha wave, even space of meditating can be challenging for me. So what can I do to 
help so, fix that. <laughs> uh huh. Okay. So first, w- what you said about um, the morning being a good time for you is, is something to consider. Just what time works for you? What's your rhythm? What what really, uh, yeah, fits for you? Uh, and if morning time, great. You set up your whole day from that more centered place. But when you say your mind is too wired in the evening to to have it settle down, um, here's a little a little wrinkle in your practice, and you might just try this. Um, instead of trying to settle your mind down, actually, when your mind is racing and you're just all wired up. Being still can be a tremendous aid as long as you're not trying to still your mind. Because if you're trying to still your mind and it's just going around, you are fighting yourself. But if you can simply be with the stillness of your body and let your mind just go thousand miles a minute and there you are just the space of awareness and every now and then as best you can whenever you remember just know that you're sitting here one of my teachers Meninjaji used to say if you sit and know you're sitting the whole of the Dharma is revealed it's as simple as that to just sit and know you're spinning, sitting, and there's the mind just spinning around. Wow. Okay. And you just give it all the space it needs, and there you are. After a while, if you're not trying to quiet it down or make anything happen, it's like you're giving it the space it needs to just settle. Sometimes... Uh, I, I think of my meditation cushion as a compost heap. And I, I don't know if that's blasphemous or whatever, but you know, there it is, all of this stuff going around. And if I let it settle, all the garbage in my mind is, uh, as Trungpa Rinpoche used to say, manure for Bodhi, manure for enlightenment, and just... Ah, okay, I don't have to get rid of anything. Just give it all the space it needs. You might just try this for 10 minutes. Sit there and don't try to calm your mind, but just every now and then come back and know that you're sitting. So there's like a space for that, uh, all of that energy to just be held and see what that's like. Okay, okay. One one last okay. quick one, and then we'll, okay. then we'll go. Um, so my mi- mindfulness practice goes out the window when I'm behind the wheel. When you're behind or the behind wheel, behind the wheel, yeah. Uh, and I just yeah. I just don't do very well. Yeah. So <laughs> so you have any? I tips? hear you. Yeah. Yes, for how to handle that because it for me it happens very often. It happens a lot where I just lose it and I just can't you know get back to normal. Mm-hmm. If you have a what bumper sticker? Uh, uh, have a Buddhist bumper sticker oh, so you'll, you'll need to uh, walk your talk or dri- drive <laughs> your drive. Yeah. 
Well, that's going to be behind the cards. <laughs> <laughs> so here's, uh, here's something to just keep in mind. First, knowing that this is an area, a, f- a forward edge for you, when you get in the car, just take five seconds to set the intention that this is your practice period. It's amazing how just a few moments of planting that seed makes a big difference. And I would, just as an experiment, see, don't turn on the radio, okay, or whatever you're listening to, and feel your hands on the steering wheel. Let that be your main practice. Just try it. Uh, That and breathing. And there you are. If you're not distracting yourself with, with other things, this is your practice to just, this is your forward edge of practice. And even if it's for the first half mile, okay, start that. So it's not, oh, will I, will I be mindful for the next 45 minutes for my commute? Just do it a little at a time, and notice how good it feels, and just take it as a kind of game, a, challenge, a, a game that you're challenging yourself with. Make practice fun instead of, again, like this heavy-duty assignment, and uh, let me know how that goes. Okay. Zen in the Art of Writing, and the writing, uh, driving, and then there's a, a book by Sylvia, uh, or maybe it's a... It's a um, uh, tape series uh, from Road Rage to Road Sage, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So let, let's uh, let's have a, a short loving kindness and just uh, dedicate the merit, and uh, just for a moment tune into how fortunate we all are to want to share some silence and share the Dharma together. You must be doing something right in your life to be that inclined. And wish yourself well. May I open to all the goodness inside and share my love well. May I see clearly and know real peace. And then sharing that with all beings May all beings everywhere see clearly. May all share their love well. May all know the highest happiness. And may our coming here together be of benefit to all beings everywhere. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.